The Football Pod with Paddy and Andy. The amount of people looking for Andy Moore around Positano. He was all the rage. They're asking about what he's going to do next. When's the next episode out? The Football Pod's gone international. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GEA podcast feed now. Oh, the shade that will get. You've let all the fans down. Can we not lock this? It's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions I have about religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Perhaps God decided that I didn't deserve to have a negative memory on this particular game. Those were the words of Jose Mourinho after he sprinted down the touchline in celebration of an El Shirawi goal that gave him a famous win on his 1,000th game of football. Welcome along to Team 33. End a call here with you, hoping that God will give me not a negative memory of tonight's show, but he has blessed me with two brilliant guests for tonight. Arthur O'Day is with me. Hello. Hello, I know you. And Shane Hannan. How are you? Keeping well, Ender. How are things? Have you been on Team 33 before? I think it's been, uh, it's certainly been years. I've definitely been on it before, but geez, it, 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 was, a, it was a long, long time ago. So this fe- it feels like my second debut. Like a, this is like Ronaldo at Newcastle, really. Mm. Well, we haven't had you on since you went viral yesterday, giving out about not being allowed <laughs> to be a Manchester United fan. So just refresh our memories. Why were you angry yesterday? It, it seems that you were getting a bit of stick for supporting a club from a foreign land. Essentially what happened yesterday on, uh, on OTB AM with, uh, with Jair was we started talking about Solskjaer at the top of the show, started talking about United and my own support of United. And I um, revealed that I was heading over to Old Trafford for uh, a few games coming up. So Villarreal and Everton and Atlanta in the next uh, number of weeks. Um, and apparently that triggered a lot of people. Uh, we started getting a lot of comments in saying, why doesn't Shane support his local club instead of traipsing off to Manchester? Uh, that was the general theme. Um, and my response essentially was that, well, my own local club anyway, Monaghan United, is is defunct, no longer exists. Um, exists, but, but no League of Ireland team as such uh, anymore. I play for my own local team at the moment, Monaghan Town. Um, when Monaghan United were in existence, I attended all of their matches. I was a big supporter. Uh, all of the home games, many of the away games. So I can't be accused of being uh, anti-League of Ireland, but I'm not exactly going to just turn around and start attending Drahat or Drahati United or the Dock matches because they're the next team over. You have a loyalty to a team. So um, when that disappeared, um, I have no Irish team to support. So I continued my support of, of United. But um, yeah, I was getting a lot of hate. And uh, my point I was making yesterday was that you can you can support both. Why can't people enjoy things? There seems to be this tendency for people to hate and uh, tell us that we can't you cannot support a League of Ireland team and also support an English team you can't be a Liverpool or United or QPR supporter if you're also a League of Ireland supporter so I was just kind of railing against that that idea that you can't support both you can't enjoy Mm. multiple things and multiple sports as well you should be able to enjoy if you're a GEA fan you should still be able to enjoy soccer and golf or whatever it is so uh, I just got triggered a little bit yesterday, and it has to be said. And, and of course, the the hate mail that you get in it doesn't it doesn't make you have a eureka moment like, oh my god, why didn't I think of that? Why did I not think of supporting my League of Ireland club? I'm going to do that and stop supporting United now. Exactly, it's like great idea. Thank you. 
like, do you want me to just start and just pick a team? Like, I can't pick a team. <laughs> I, like, I had a link to Monaghan United because it's, I'm from Monaghan Town. So, like, you know, I could pick up Finn Harpsenda and start traveling up to, to Donegal and go to their games, but I don't have that affinity to the club. So that's, that's the issue. And people just, I think it's an Irish thing as well. People like to give out. And when it comes to oh, football, yeah. people are very territorial and they like to give their opinions and their two cents, which is fine. I mean, here we are, for example. But the, the hate amongst, I don't like the, you know, the, the far side on either end, you know, the League of Ireland fan who is ultra and says you can't support an English team. And then the Irish Premier League fan who says uh, the League of Ireland is crap. Like both of those are, are brutal. So you need a you need a nice somewhere in the middle, I think, which is which is what I was trying to get across yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, and oddly enough, the two of them fit off each other as well because the League of Ireland fan gets angry at the fact that the Premier League fan says this and therefore you know, has this sort of uh, back-against-the-wall attitude already. There is a lot to talk about on tonight's show, though. Loads going on in the world of football. We're going to be talking about the Messi situation at PSG. There's a lot going on there with Mauricio Pochettino, tying that in with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Ronaldo. How do you actually control these superstar of superstars in the dying ages of their careers, how do you actually, you know, you know, deal with them on the pitch and off the pitch and their stardom and the power that they wield at the club? As I mentioned, Mourinho, 1,000 games in, we'll be looking at his legacy in the game, how he is uh, perceived, I guess, now that he is not at the tail end of his career, but getting towards that stage where he's now in the, in the Serie A with Roma, not holding the same power within the game as he was previously. Julian Nagelsmann is in the news for interesting reasons. We'll get to that later on. And we'll finish off with some Marcus Alonso uh, comments about taking the knee. Well, let, let's start off with the Messi stuff. So if you missed this story, I'm not sure if you, you would have missed the story in the world of the social media, but Messi was substituted against Leon at the weekend, 75 minutes in. Hakimi comes off the bench. Messi didn't shake hands with Mauricio Pochettino. Gives him the most French look of all time. It seems he was working on his uh, French gestures more than he's been working on his football at PSG. PSG go on to win the game 2-1. And it's since been revealed that Messi actually had a knock. But there has been heavy criticism of Mauricio Pochettino for taking Lionel Messi off the pitch. How dare you take the greatest player of all time off the pitch when your team are not winning? Arthur... This takes a lot of cojones from Mauricio Pochettino to do this. When the, his team isn't playing particularly well, when he's got potentially the greatest player of all time on the pitch. But, I mean, you have to do it at some stage. Somebody has to be the man who takes Lionel Messi off the pitch. Yeah, and it's sort of like if it's within, I think like if it's within some sort of, he has a plan and it works and it's effective and all that makes sense since within the greater scheme of things, then I don't think there'll be any issue really. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if they keep on, particularly I suppose in Europe, picking up the results that they want, then it's not it's not going to probably be as big an issue. But <laughs> to be honest with you, and maybe I was a bit asleep on this, but looking through that kind of Pochettino's comments afterwards, he referenced a 35-man squad. <laughs> a 35-man squad. Like, <laughs> what? how is that... I like. I don't think Messi's going to be the issue. No. How can he possibly keep on top of that? Yeah. Point. So what 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 Mauricio Pochettino said was, I think we all know that we have great players in this thirty-five man squad. Only eleven can play. We can't play them more anymore. The decisions in the game are made for the good of the team and each player. So if you if you actually break down that thirty-five man squad, 
you're probably looking more or less at 17 players. I mean, 35 months. He's not playing GAA here. It's, it's, it's not the, the, he's not calling uh, Afram Hakimi a finisher as opposed to a substitute. He's, he was a substitute on the, on the day. But I guess you're dealing with uh, Donnarumma, Sergio Ramos, Di Maria, uh, Icardi, Neymar, Mbappe, Messi, even by the Real Madrid Galactico era standards. This is an insanely stacked team when it comes to superstar and those egos that he has to deal with here. So of all the players in there, you think that Messi is the less on the, on the lesser side of egotistical when you compare him to someone like Neymar or, or, or Mauro Icardi, but he holds much more power because of who he is, Arthur. Yeah, I, yeah, I suppose he does. And I suppose the reason he, he probably hasn't, Again, I suppose financially would explain a lot of why he might be there, but I still think he's probably a la Ronaldo has gone to play and want to play with some sense of purpose. But he's gone there to achieve something. I mean, he could, I'm sure, and I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I'm sure there were other paydays available where it might be easier earned. But um, I'm pretty, like, you can only imagine just given how seismic his whole career has been that there would be an emphasis for him personally that he'd want to be centrally involved in anything he's doing. It's very hard to see him going that content to kind of wind down, even if that is probably what he is doing. It it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really seem like a logical move for him. Mm. Shane, where do you come in on this? Because you know, PSG go on to win this game. Messi is actually injured; he may may miss the the Champions League now because of this. So he was Mauricio Pochettino was doing this for the good of the team, but the backlash that he has received has been insane when it comes to fan support and when it comes to media support as well. So he's stuck between a rock and a hard place here between protecting his player, protecting his team, but also protecting against the power that be uh, in Lionel Messi. He is. And like when I first heard that it was an uh, an injury, I was very, very skeptical because like Messi's face coming off the pitch was like, why are you taking me off? That's not Mm -hmm. the face of a player who's injured. Um, But if he is injured, fair enough. It makes sense. But you made a good point there. The, The fact is, PSG went on to win the match. So a manager is, uh, vind- uh, you know, vilified in what they've done, or, uh, vindicated, sorry, in what they've done by winning the, ge- winning the game. If they'd gone on to draw that match and, and, you know, Messi had sat on the bench for the last 15, 20 minutes and it had finished in a draw, Pochettino would have had an egg on his face, essentially. But the fact is they got the result. It's like the, it's like the David Moyes taking on Mark Noble. You could see there was a, a grin on his face before the penalty was taken. He was thinking here, this is either going to be a masterstroke by me or I'm going to look like an idiot. And in the end, the penalty's missed. He looks like an idiot. So it, it really ends up being, you know, whatever the result of the game is, that that's what happens to the manager and Pochettino ends up winning the match. Like there's a great quote here I have from, um, there was an interview with uh, Pep Guardiola done in 2012 talking about Messi and about substituting Messi and what you do in that situation. It was advice he was given to the Argentinian boss, Alejandro Sabea back in, in 2012, uh, the Argentinian boss at the time. And he says, in terms of man-managing someone like Leo Messi, you have to say very little to Leo. Protect him on the pitch with players who make his job easier for him. Listen well to what he says. And don't forget that he should never be taken off the pitch, not even at the end, to be applauded. Which I thought was interesting. That That's kind of the... It's the same with Ronaldo. Like, I know Ronaldo was taken off against young boys, but that was clearly tactical given Juan Basaka had been sent off. You do not take off Messi or Ronaldo or these uh, these unbelievable worldwide tier players ever like yes if he had an injury that is fair enough I'm still a little bit skeptical now if he misses the next game I'll hold my hands up and say grand he was injured but 
it's it's a move that Pochettino was very brave to make, and maybe it's it's his way of saying I'm the manager here. Messi, you might be the best player in the world, probably the best player of all time, but still, I'm the boss. Um, if it was, it's very idiotic on Pochettino's behalf. You don't do that to someone like Dino Messi. Um, but yeah, a brave move that, that, that did pay off in the end, but uh, we'll see where it goes in the next few weeks in terms of their relationship, I think. Yeah, we might talk a bit about Ronaldo in a sec, but I guess when it comes to the players like Ronaldo, like you mentioned, and Messi, it almost buys into the the element of, you know, the three of us, who are we to talk about these players? And Messi and Ronaldo have reached a peak now where who is anybody to talk about anything that they do? Is even their manager? How, who is Mauricio Pochettino to take Lionel Messi off the pitch? Who is Pep Guardiola to take Lionel Messi off the pitch? Who is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to take Cristiano Ronaldo off the pitch? That's, that's a level that the, these guys have gotten to where even their manager's judgments who, you know, Mauricio Pochettino is the boss. He is the guy who is supposed to put his team out to win the game. They did go and win the game, but he has still questioned his decision because he took Lionel Messi off the pitch. And it's just, it, it leads me to a question that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical in asking in general, and I, I'm cautious in the backlash that I will get from, from football fans when I ask this. But <laughs> look, Messi, Ronaldo, they're going to score goals. They're going to, going to score 30, 40 goals. Uh, they've done that throughout their careers. They have proven beyond doubt that they are the two most uh, deadly footballers on the planet in the last 20, 30 years. But at this stage now where they're coming to the end of their career, they aren't going to be playing all the games in every season. They're on massive pay packets. They bring this extra decision-making uh, sort of question mark over everything you do are you better off not having them Arthur in your team than having them because it just adds that little bit of extra you know doubt in everyone else's heads can you manage them yeah you know it's, it's funny um, I suppose generally speaking it's hard to say but subjectively in terms of if we take PSG and Man United I I think that they would have both been like it's, it's hard to say but I think they both would have been better off without like I don't if you take PSG for a second, like it really seems and maybe he'll turn it around, but it does sort of seem that Pochettino's kind of on a hiding to nothing there. Maybe they win the Champions League, but it it certainly doesn't seem any more likely now than it did last year. I don't know, I don't know what you think, and to be fair, like I'm not watching PSG week in, week out, but like Well, the great Philippe Claire was on the football show last night on Off the Ball and he said that the question marks over taking Messi off just hides the fact of the real issue, and that is that PSG are playing some really, really bad football at the minute. Yeah, and I just don't think that's going to make his life any easier. Like, I, I presume, I suppose if you take his, his kind of his biggest piece of work so far at Spurs, and it's just, it's a completely different situation for Pochettino to be in. And now you're kind of, you're already at a situation where you're dealing with, again, what it was, like, was it a 34-man squad before, and you know, or whatever it was, but like a huge number of players a huge number of egos, as you're saying, some of the best players in the world. And now you have this guy in here who's like, you know, bona fide number one. And to have to kind of, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if there's anyone, maybe you, you take a Zidane can sort that situation out. And, you know, typically enough, kind of his name is thrown up. But I don't think for Pochettino, it's, I don't think it's good news at all. In a similar sense, Solskjaer is probably in a slightly different position. That, But again, at the same time, we talked about this as well um, a week or two ago, like, is Ronaldo, is that really what he needed? Does he, like, maybe it takes focus away from other things for a while. 
but those problems aren't going to disappear. Now, to be fair, he started fantastically well in terms of goals scored, and you know maybe someone else at this stage doesn't score those goals, just doesn't get in the positions he's getting in. But geez, I don't know from what I've seen of United so far this season as well, they haven't looked great. It, it's not. Yeah. I don't think either neither player put it this way. Like if you're kind of taking where they are in their careers, I don't think either of them is much of a last piece in the puzzle if you know what I mean well here's the guy who's going to push us over a little bit like funnily enough with the picture over your shoulder with Larson what season was it that he went to United oh six or seven just that last bit of this or whatever few months or weeks that he was even there and just that little nice this class player who just pushes what's already kind of a working thing over the edge but it doesn't seem like that to be honest it seems like both men coming in has kind of just had to everything's sort of been rejigged mm. like, yeah, I, well, I almost sorry, sorry Andy like I almost felt like there's there's two strands to it. There's the pressure that bringing in Ronaldo or Messi brings on Pochettino and Solskjaer. Like that brings pressure because you've got one of the you know two of the best players in the world. So clearly you're going to have to win trophies with them. If you don't, it's a, it's a it's abject failure to be honest. But then you have to think about what they add to the team. Like I I almost I was chatting to my brother about this and like I was almost thinking that you know Ronaldo and Messi are at the stage now where this is the time for their, you know, their end of career move, like the, the move to Asia or America or whatever it is for the, for the big payday. But Ronaldo and Messi are so good that I almost think this is, the, this is the move just before that. Like, I actually think even though Ronaldo's 36 years of age, the shape he's in and he looks after himself so well and, and similarly for Messi, I think this is, the, this is still an, an in-career move. Like, this is a, like, Ronaldo could actually win a, like, you know, if, if if United win a Premier League or Champions League this season or next with Ronaldo, signing him is you know, it makes complete sense. Then, uh, similarly, if if PSG win the Champions League with Messi, makes complete sense. Um, like it, it, they will end up doing their their big payday move, but I feel like this is actually an in career move that that could really really reap benefits for for United and, and PSG. Now, it probably is going to dictate a lot as well. The Ronaldo Messi debate who is the greatest and look a bit of that kind of wrecks my head as well because can we not just again can we not just enjoy things can we not just enjoy these two at their peak but the the argument will come after this two three year period Ronaldo at United Messi at PSG whoever uh, you know achieves the most uh, and brings the team from a level to the next level you know that's really really going to to turn the screw in their favor in terms of that argument so I can't wait to see what's going to happen over the next two or three years but like as Arthur said Ronaldo's just started incredibly well and you know, a few games in, you'd have to say already it's uh, it's reaping rewards and he's selling jerseys as well. So it can only be a positive thing. And you can't buy tickets for United games at the moment. Like, I know I'm going to a couple of games, but uh, in the <laughs> next few weeks, but like tickets are expensive, lads. And they're they're hard come by. Now, Champions League nights are a bit easier because obviously it's midweek. People can't really go. But you, like to get to that Newcastle game, you would want to have some serious contacts within Old Trafford uh, for Ronaldo's debut. It's just, it's kind of changed the vibes, I think, around Old Trafford. Mm. There's one thing to keep an eye on for United as a trend in their game plan, just to just to keep an eye out for. In the first uh, two games uh, under Ronaldo, I want to look at two. There, there's another one in there as well. They had uh, seven or eight extra crosses, and more than they were averaging before. So they've definitely shaped their game plan around getting balls into the box for Cristiano Ronaldo. That's one trend to keep an eye on. I just want United to go back to four four two and just be done with it and uh, have Cristiano Ronaldo, Edison Cavani up front. But Arthur, sorry, you, you go on there. You wanted to come in there? No, it's only a small thing. Like I'm wondering if to throw it to Shane there, like as the avowed Man United fan here, um, are you not concerned long-term? Like in terms of that's grand. So if Man United win the Premier League this year or if they win the Champions League next year, whatever happens, um, 
is that really a, any kind of further guarantee of what they'll do five years from now? I don't really, you know, in PSG, it's kind of different. I don't think they're really as concerned. They don't really need to be. It's kind of a completely different dynamic. But, like, I'm just kind of curious. Like, I don't know, what does Cristiano Ronaldo coming allow or kind of encourage you to believe might be the case in 2025? Yeah, no, it's a fair point, uh, and it's definitely one of the the questions you have to you have to think about when you're signing people like Ronaldo and Cavani, who are kind of getting on a bit in years. And um, obviously, if the move pays off and they score goals for a season or two or three, I think that's enough. Um, and and the the impact that that's going to have on the younger players coming in, coming through, like the likes of Greenwood, Rashford's a bit older now, but he's still a young player. Jaden Sancho, um, like these guys are going to learn so much from playing with Ronaldo for a year or two. Like it's gonna, it's gonna reap, it's gonna reap rewards. It has to. Um, the impact they're gonna have around the dressing room, around the club, improve the atmosphere in the club. You know, if they start winning titles, they're gonna draw in bigger players like the likes of Erling Haaland. You want to join the, the club, Kylian Mbappe? Maybe if he makes a move in a couple of years, where is he gonna want to go? He's gonna want to go to a team that's winning trophies. Uh, if Ronaldo helps United get there, look, it's it's not the answer. It's not the long term answer. Um, and we all know the gaps in that United team. They're still need a number six, like if they had a Kante or someone along those lines to, to come in and, and kind of do a job, it would really, really fill a gap. But there are a lot of signings that, that Solskjaer is making and I think he's making them in the knowledge that they're not the long-term answer. He knows, look, he, he played with Ronaldo himself. That's how old he is, you know? So it is not the long-term answer, but I think football fans sometimes can get a little bit obsessed with, you know, playing the youth, thinking three, four, five years ahead. And you have to do that. And I think the club are doing that. Like there's some serious talent coming through those United Academy teams like Hannibal Mejbury and um, Joe Hugel. And there's there's guys coming through that are scoring goals week in, week out that are quality players. Charlie Savage is another Robbie Savage's son. Um, so for anyone watching those United under 23 games, they're not going to be worried about 2025. Um, but United need to right now get back to winning trophies. And I think Ronaldo Cavani, these older more experienced guys probably helps them do that. So we need like United have won a Premier League since twenty thirteen. This is you know what's it been eight years? Like that has to end this year, this this season or next. And if they don't do that under under Ronaldo, I mean you're not going to ever do it in the next couple of years, really, are you? Yeah, I mean was that not why Ibrahimovic was brought in though? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of I'm curious. They won the just, League Cup though. They won the League Cup. Yeah, and you kind of okay. So if you take that and say they did win the League Cup, right? And, and that's fine. And I think he was actually he was he was he, he was brilliant for United really. You know, in, in the grand scheme of things, he was very good. You'd call his the signing a success. But, like, so in the few years since then, so Rashford's still there, but he's going to have an issue certainly getting regular football kind of without challenge. You know, there's there's going to be some issue there when he kind of is back fully fit. You have Greenwood who's coming through, but now you also have different... So, like, Cavani... Like, I'm just going to... So who learned from Ibrahimovic or from that move that's now benefiting from it that's there, if you know what I mean? Yeah, and fair point. Even if you go back, like, and I appreciate none of us are probably watching regular Juventus, but I'd love to know who at Juventus benefited from having an experienced Ronaldo there for that kind of season or two or two, two or three that he was there. Because it just, <laughs> it seems like kind of, he's like, just like the sun and everything has to kind of orbit around him. Yeah. Like, it doesn't necessarily, people might get that glow, but if the sun's gone, <laughs> it's gone. Like, and it's, it's a hard know. thing to quantify. Like, yeah. you can't, you can't, you you can't just turn around and say that player learned 15% from Ronaldo or whatever. Yeah, it, it, no, it is a difficult thing. Um, I don't know. Like, there has to, there have to be United players in that team. Like, even Jesse Lingard played with Ibrahimovic for that for those couple of years. Won, they won an FA Cup and a League Cup together. Like, that's, I'm not saying he's learned from it, but like, you look at the player Lingard is now, 
compared to what he was a couple of years ago, something has happened in his psyche. Um, I don't know what it is. Very often, it's probably not the impact of another person or another player. It's just the player sitting down to themselves, working harder, realizing the strengths and the weaknesses of their game and where to improve and where not to. But it, it is a fair point. I don't know who's going to learn. Like I feel like Mason Greenwood this on this occasion is the guy who's going to, I mean, he's the next, he's he's not the next generation, he's the current generation, but he's the guy who in two or three years is going to be the main focal point of that United attack. Uh, like Rashford and Sancho are going to be there as well, you would imagine at that stage too. So yeah, learning from these guys is, is it's easy It's easy to say on paper, but yeah, no, I, I take your point, it's very, it's very hard to quantify. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I I actually think the learning from players is the biggest load of nonsense that uh, actually goes on in, in broadcasting at the minute. It's not as if Mason Greenwood sitting down just watching Ronaldo in training and drawing little drawing little diagrams of his movements. Like he's, I mean, you're probably learning a little bit here and there about like you know nutrition and you know sleep and training and 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 things like that. Ronaldo might give him tips here and there, but I mean he's not his coach like he's he's going to naturally progress as a professional footballer the way he does by playing games and learning on his learning his own techniques he, he might learn things here and there but I, I I just can't fathom what Ronaldo can teach all that much different like he might teach him things little tiny things but apart from that I, I'm not really sure how, how did Ronaldo learn who taught Ronaldo who did he who, who he learn off you know that like he naturally progressed as a player because he worked hard and I, I think that's generally what happens we do want to talk about some more things as well, but we have to take a break. After the break, we'll talk Jose Mourinho, 1,000 games into his career. Julian Nagelsmann as well wants to make some dramatic changes to the game. So stick with us. We'll be back after this break. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now you're welcome back to Team 33. And a call here with you for the next hour or so. Joined in studio or on the line by Arthur O'Dea and Shane Hannon because... We're talking all things, you know, going on in the world of football right now. We have parked the Messi-Ronaldo conversation and we're going to move on to Jose Mourinho, 1,000 games into his career. He had his 1,000th game last weekend against the Swallow and uh, El Shirawi scored a, a 90th minute winner and Jose Mourinho, in true Jose Mourinho fashion, ran down the touchline to celebrate. It was like reeling back the years to 2004. We don't really want to talk about modern day Jose as much in terms of what he's doing at Roma, because, I mean, he's only a couple of games in. But I do want to talk about his legacy in the game and what he's left behind and sort of the opinion of Jose Mourinho now and what people think of it. What does Jose Mourinho mean to you or mean to the world of football, Shane? Jose Mourinho has um, probably tainted his legacy slightly in, in recent years. Like, I remember that I remember that game against Porto that when he ran down the touchline and broke Manchester United fans' hearts um, with that late goal to knock them out of the Champions League. And like that was probably when he signalled his arrival on the world stage. And obviously, when he went on to win the, the Champions League with a team like Porto, the world set up and took notice. The football world set up and took notice. Anyway, like, and then what he did with Chelsea, you were like, okay, this guy's, this guy's a manager. This guy knows how to, you know, he took that great team of, to be fair, it was a great team, Robin and Duff and <clears throat> all those guys, and just completely dominated uh, and a decade that you you felt was going to be a Manchester United Arsenal decade, um, and just completely tore the tore the script to shreds. Um, 
And a lot of that was down to Jose Mourinho. Like he changed the way football was played in some ways as well. He's almost like the Jim McGuinness of, of football. Like there was there was a lot of what uh, Jose did that was kind of pioneering. Uh, I, I adore the fact that he's a he's the Jim McGuinness of football, and Jim McGuinness yeah. isn't the Jose Mourinho. Yeah, exactly. Jim, yeah, we, we know who the bigger the bigger fish is here. Of course, it's Jim. Um, but like I remember thinking when um, you know after United got rid of uh, it was Van Hal, wasn't it? Before Mourinho, like. Mourinho was the obvious choice. And I remember being at a United game in, in Old Trafford against Jose's Inter Milan in the Champions League uh, when Jose was Inter boss. And the the rapport and the back and forth between the United fans and Jose for the entire game was was a sight to behold. Like every time Jose got out of his seat, the United fans were just chanting, sit down Mourinho. And he responded, he was waving at the United fans. There was a little bit of uh, quote unquote banter back and forth. And like, I remember thinking at that point, okay, he's the Inter boss here, but I, I, I kind of like this guy. I like his attitude. I like his cockiness. I like what he what he brings to the game. And clearly, he he, he goes on to win a, a Champions League with that Inter side as well. Like, he wins a Champions League with Porto and Inter Milan. Like, this is this is an Inter Milan team that beat a, a Barcelona team that was at the peak of its powers, in my view. Like, this was an incredible Barcelona team and unbeatable in many ways. But Jose uh, changed the game. And then when it comes to United, you're thinking this is going to be great. Um, and uh, yeah, sadly, that it, it did not quite go to plan. And man management, I don't know if that, that became a weakness for him later on in his career, but we all know the, the Luke Shaw stuff and what he did to, to his, I guess, mental health and, and uh, you know, didn't exactly, you know, uh, make Luke Shaw the player he could become because we, we all know now what, what Luke Shaw, what a player he is. Um so, like, I was sad by what happened at at, uh, at Old Trafford, but I was also saddened by, by what happened at, at Tottenham and the kind of slow disintegration of the the old Mourinho that we knew. But, I, I look, I wish him all the best at Roma. I want him to do well. Like, a thousand games is clearly... It's a, it's a personal achievement for him, but you, you could tell in his, in his post-match quotes that he wanted that game and that night to be a special one. Because for him, 1,000 games in management was a huge milestone and something he looked back on when he's retired with great pride and to get a win on that night and, and to get the run up the touchline and, and the, the Mourinho of old was just fantastic. Um, mm. I have a soft spot in my heart still for him, um, Jose. Probably it dates back to that 2003 uh, Porto uh, Porto year. I think it was 03. Um, so, yeah, an incredible manager who I think in the last couple of years has maybe tainted his legacy slightly, but it, it's not all it's not all ended. You know, there's, he still has time to get get that back. Yeah. Without going all pseudo-psychologist on it here, Arthur, there's a dark side to Jose Mourinho that, you know, I I just want to park for one second and look at him from the perspective of what his career was. And that has been a man who has always been fighting against the tide of not having played professional football. And, he, you know, he did his time under Bobby Robson and with Pep Guardiola at Barcelona. And he always struggled with that, you know, he never played professional football. Would he be able to get the respect of the players? Goes to, he obviously had a, a brief spell at Benfica, but goes to, to Porto and he makes this team a bunch of bastards to play against. And they, they are they are not, uh, I say that with a picture yeah. of Henrik Larsson behind because of what happened in the UEFA Cup, but makes them, they're, they're underdogs and they go on to win the, the Champions League because nobody expects them to do it. And he, is able to make these players believe that they, they can do it. And then he goes to Chelsea and an upstarter of, of sorts. I know Chelsea obviously have a, a, a strong legacy in the game of football, but 
not to the extent of their winning Premier League titles. Roman Abramovich is there and he makes that team one of the best teams that I've played in the Premier League era. Again, a bunch of bastards, but really, really just a, a phenomenal footballing side. And then he goes to Inter Milan, does the exact same thing. Inter Milan, a, a, a sleeping giant, does, has a famous game against Barcelona, wins the Champions League, wins the treble. And again, you have to say they were just a tough, tough side. Real Madrid and Manchester United are a different story. Yeah. Because those sides are used to winning. Those sides are not sleeping giants. They are giants. They are super clubs. They expect a different standard, a different level, a different way of winning. Do, do you think that was the reason Jose Mourinho failed? Or do you think it was solely down to his, his footballing uh, ideology, I guess? It's so hard to say, isn't it? Because like... Um... I suppose if you talk about yeah, if you talk well, if you talk about United, that's I suppose one thing. If you talk about Madrid, and like it, it's hard in one way to call it a failure because I suppose if we're calling it a failure, then I suppose the mark of success is just to win a trophy. If you know what I mean, and I mean to be fair, like I suppose there's probably no shame. A little bit like, and it's not to bring everything back to my United, but a little bit like that Man United team that kind of got the Champions League finals in two thousand and eight, nine, and eleven. You know, if if Barcelona aren't there all of a sudden, <laughs> it could be three Champions Leagues in four years, you know. And I think it's a similar sort of thing. Like, oh, what? That was, both of them were routinely, it's a little bit like Liverpool, Chelsea, or Liverpool City of the last few years. Like, they were kind of routinely getting up to 99, like late 90s in terms of points. Real Madrid yeah. might not win the league. Like, it was kind of crazy sort of stuff. It almost seemed to hinge on the on the Classicos each year. So I don't, I don't know if, I certainly seems... Like a lot of what happened when he was, and to be fair, to kind of completely go back on myself then, it's kind of hard as well as what you're saying when Real Madrid are already sort of your established giant there that it's like, well, how much, maybe he was inhibiting them. (laughs) And that's why, you know, so it's kind of, I I don't, like a lot of what he did there, you know, like especially stuff with the Tita Villanova stuff and an awful lot of his behaviour and stuff was just, it wasn't, again, not to go pseudo-psychological, but it wasn't really, it wasn't rational stuff. It wasn't productive stuff at all. Like, it was just crazy. It just seemed like almost mutual destruction. So, like, I, I'll come in, and, and to be I not that long ago read um, Sid Lowe's incredible book about thing about the uh, Real Madrid Classico and Barcelona Classico. Yeah, it's brilliant. Incredible. And um, even he, like, just off the top of my head, the memory of when Real Madrid were looking for a manager is almost, we need to stop Barcelona. Right, who do we get for this? Who's the, who's the messiest man we can bring in to make it to just deconstruct everything they're doing. This is the fella, and I like I don't know. It's hard to know when he what it's because it's, it's I always find it very um, a little bit what you're saying earlier as well about who are we to talk with thing. I find it hard, even though a lot of the evidence would suggest so, to kind of go like oh Jose Mourinho he no longer knows what football's about. It's just like that's that seems a bit much. I, like, but who knows? But in terms of um, he seemed to break at Real Madrid. I think at Man United. I don't think that was. As Shane was saying, and I remember at the time, like there was excitement, and it was like, "Well, this is the obvious man for this job." Mm. Yeah, but it never really got off the ground in a in a proper way. Like even to him talking with the second place, probably in hindsight, was good, but mm. I don't think he was ever. I don't think he was recapturing that old magic. Mm. Yeah, he actually won Real Madrid's first league title in a couple of years at, yeah. in the yeah, league. Yeah. It, it was like if on just the sheer basis of what he was there brought in to do. He was successful, really, but I I do think he came back 
a completely different man after the Real Madrid experience. I, I guess that has a lot to do with the Spanish media because, I mean, they are ruthless. They are way more ruthless with uh, football than uh, in England, which is really saying something. Just before we move on with Mourinho, uh, do you think he's going to do it, do it again or, or is like maybe a, an international football the thing that he might succeed in at this point? Like, I, I, Porter Carrington was speaking on Golf Weekly about the Ryder Cup and what it would mean to win it. And he was kind of like, well, you know, I've, I've won majors. Would an extra major really make a difference in my career to my legacy or even tournaments? Like, are, are people going to count those tournaments anyway when they think about my standing with the game? Does Jose Mourinho even need to do anything else? for people to, even with hindsight, look back and say, you know what, this guy, he actually, for that 10-year period, he was an incredible manager. I think, like, you, you mentioned Patrick Carrington there. We all know Patrick Carrington is, a, is a, a golf brain. Like, his golfing brain is is even compared to his his peers, uh, extraordinary. He, he thinks about the game in a different way. He You even can tell in interviews he's someone who thinks about it differently. And I think anytime I saw Mourinho on, you know, post-match analysis or in, in his role, roles in punditry, I thought this this guy does think about the game differently. He does have an unbelievable football brain. And that's a brain that a lot of clubs and even international teams, yeah, for sure, could benefit from. I think, like you mentioned, that that whole idea that maybe a super club is is not, not above him, but a, a little bit more difficult to task coming in somewhere like Real or Man United. Roma is a perfect fit. Like Roma are a, are a huge club, but... In, in in Italian terms, Inter and AC and Juventus are are, are much bigger teams. Uh, it's it's a perfect it's a perfect fit for Jose Mourinho. Like if he can, I don't know what what the barometer of success is there. It's quite tough to win a Serie A title when you're up against those sides. But still, that that's what he'll be hoping for in the next few years. And Roma have a decent squad. I think he can go on to to do good things with Roma and be there for three or four years. Now, saying that about Jose is 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 risky because we all know it, it's flaky and anything can happen. And he could be managing. He could be managing Tanzania in a few years, hence why I'm wearing the Tanzania jersey, of course, bringing in the reference. Um, like, we, we talked about learning from other managers, uh, like or, or from other players, like, and the ridiculousness of the idea that footballers can learn from, you know, more experienced players. But, I mean, Jose under Pep, Jose under Bobby Robson, there's probably something there. And maybe, maybe you pick up more working under a great manager than a footballer picks up, you know, playing alongside a great footballer. But Jose has done... Uh, extraordinary things and that has to go back that has to go back to his time under Pep and his time under Bobby Robson and his time working with managers like that and, and yeah like he came back from Real a different a different guy I remember the was in the 2015-16 season the whole argument with the Chelsea physio Dr. Dr. Eva Carniero when, when she went I think it was Aiden Hazard maybe went down injured late in the game and they were drawn 2-2 Swan, it was Homer away against Swansea I think and, and, mm-hmm. and he went and kind of just went lit at her as as many people will mm. remember um and that was that was rough to watch because the reaction to that was just uh, he it was he wasn't covered he wasn't covered in glory in the newspapers and rightly so but that that wouldn't have happened to to the Jose Mourinho at Chelsea in the mid noughties i think that something happened along along his career maybe the frustration of what happened at real madrid that that kind of led to all of that but it, it was kind of sad to watch that little um intervening period in jose's career we might look back on it as just a blip, um, and and look, I really hope we do. I hope, I hope his period at Roma is going to be successful, and and like regardless, he's going to go on to a great career in punditry and, and analysis if he if he leaves coaching. So, um, yeah, a, a flawed figure, but someone I think we all have a maybe a soft spot for. 
Yeah, I think when Pep Guardiola got the Barcelona job ahead of him, that really set a fire underneath him that he wanted to prove everyone wrong um, in terms of what he was going to go on and do in his career. Radio viewers won't be able to hear or won't be able to see your jersey, but why does the Tanzania jersey look like your average club GAA jersey? <laughs> I think, so the, the story behind this, when I, uh, and how do you know someone has climbed Kilimanjaro, they'll keep telling you they've climbed Kilimanjaro. So once again, bringing that story in here. So was in uh, in Moshi, a city in uh, Tanzania, a couple of years ago. Uh, we were just after climbing the mountain and got back, having a few beers, and there were a few guys on the street selling um, Tanzania jerseys. So you can safely say, the uh, eight or ten euro I paid for this jersey means this is absolutely not the authentic original Tanzanian national football jersey. It's a nice top though. They've got you've got the uh, Tanzanian flag up there for the for the YouTube viewers. Um, lovely top, but um, that's the story behind it. So I have a soft spot for the Tanzanian national team, Enda. Good stuff. I, I would imagine they're tough enough to follow. Uh, look, there, there was loads that we wanted to get to, but we don't have time really to, to touch on all of it. So we'll get to this Julian Nagelsmann stuff because I, I just thought it was it was quite a funny story. And I know, Arthur, you, you, you found it uh, similarly funny. So basically, Julian Nagelsmann, the Bayern Munich manager, you know, known for his uh, weird techniques on the training ground and, you know, young up-and-coming manager, still only in his mid-30s and managing Bayern Munich, the top club in Germany. But he, 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 he sat down with um, Andy Reid, the NFL coach, and he was talking to him about things, about referees, about VAR, about you know how technology could be uh, implemented in football the same way that it's implemented in NFL. And he came out thinking that football needs a revolution, a techno- technological revolution. He said that football needs to stop hiding behind its tradition and revolutionize itself. He believes that it should look at American football and how it has moved into the 21st century. American football is more technologically advanced than football, he added. The quarterback has an earpiece to listen to the coach. We absolutely need something like that. And he said, as a football coach, you could agree if you could achieve a great deal with something like that. We only have time to talk about tactics with the players at halftime. He also is in favour of timeouts in the, uh, in the football world as well. So, I mean... Without talking about the, you know, the the technical issues that would arise with a player being completely mic'd up in the world of football and having an earpiece in when he's trying to play football, this is just fanciful stuff, really. Here, Arthur. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's like, well, it wouldn't it wouldn't be football anymore, as you're saying. Like, just from a purely practical point of view, it doesn't make any sense. But um, it's just it's it's awful to be honest. With you. I, again, I don't know the kind of tone in which it was said or anything, so I don't. Want to, misrepresent them but it's just awful it's just like it just seems like such awful micromanaging and and i'd like again it's kind of it's always funny when you we're talking about Mourinho and no professional career and obviously Nagelsmann's career was i think was cut short very short very early on by injury and it's just kind of I'd like so when he's saying when he's saying we need to we need to change the traditions of football football needs to stop hiding behind things like that is the game <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the players make those decisions that's that's the like it just strikes me as someone who is far more coached than he was ever a footballer at the elite level he's at. I'm not like, denigrating his thing, but at the elite level he's at far more in one camp than he is was ever in the other. And this just seems like, how can I control this even more? Like it is ultimately becoming more and more then like football manager in terms of the outlet. Well, I control everything. This is my universe and I control everything that's in here and I can tell you anything you want when I want. But what, my question is, right, and 
So the the quarterbacks take the NFL example that he, he used. The quarterbacks are mic'd up. They can talk to the the coach when they're um, setting up and choosing their play. That's for the play. So I I wonder what, what is uh, Julian Nagelsmann achieving by having an earpiece in? Yeah. Let's let's say for example Lewandowski's ear. Is he going to tell Lewandowski what to do when he's on the pitch? What what is he what is he capable of telling him to do on the pitch that Lewandowski already can't do? or already isn't doing, or what message can he get across that he can't get across by just yelling at him because he's right beside him? I don't know. I don't know what he hopes to achieve. Like, it's not... Yeah, so, like, I suppose the only player who's somewhat static for a while and reliably static is the keeper. But even then, it's like, I suppose, neither choices are generally maybe at a kick-out between two or three different choices, either of a centre-backs and maybe up to either wing is where he's going to play it out, maybe if someone comes short in the middle. But it's not... Like, there's not... It does not have nearly the same elaboration... That's what Andy Reid could be telling to, I'm right to say, Patrick Mahomes, I think. Mm, yeah. So that's like, it, obviously, the, the variables for the Kansas City Chiefs are plentiful, you know, but yeah. Bayern Munich, you know, like what, yeah, what can he possibly want to tell that can't be communicated as is? Yeah, I and mean, I'm, I'm just thinking like, as a, from a purely practical perspective, let's say he wants to change the formation and they just want the opposition to find out about it. I mean, the team are going to have to, somebody's going to have to say that to somebody on the pitch so at some point. It's not It's not the same as NFL where you, you set up each play because I'm not sure how you achieve what he's supposedly trying to achieve here. I'm, and I'm putting words in his mouth somewhat just to, to paint the picture. But without uh, having set pieces every time the ball goes out of play where you have two, two minutes to set your team up in whatever formation you want and defense that you want to do and have offensive lines and everything that comes with NFL, I'm not sure how he can achieve anything by having an earpiece in the in any player's ear. He's like, to be honest, lads. He's Nagelsmann is like great respect from his coach, but he's he's talking muck here. Like <laughs> the, the need, like he's talking about the need to revolutionise football. And if if revolutionising football involves stop start, uh, resetting, talking to players constantly, I don't want a bit of it. I genuinely go and. Uh, double down on my interest in snooker. Like I, I literally would watch anything. anything Famously quick moving sport. Yeah. Quick moving, of course, as we, all, as we all know. But like, just reading some of his quotes here, like we only have half time to talk about tactics with the players. I mean, boo-hoo. Like, you, and shout on your tactics during the match, as you lads said. The, the, some of the things he's saying and talking about there being far too much noise in stadiums to communicate properly with players, that's outrageous. First of all, Noise is what makes sport a brilliant thing. We all want fans in stadiums making as much noise as possible. There is still plenty of ability to talk to your players. Call them over, whisper to them, pass a note onto the pitch as we see managers doing. You can communicate with players without needing to speak to them for the entire duration of the 90 minutes in their ears. Like He's talking about American football being more technologically advanced than soccer. Of course it is. It's a completely different sport. The quarterback needs to hear the plays Um like it's a it's a far more stop start sport. That's why we have so many commercials in American football. Like, I don't know what he's talking about here, Nagelsmann. I maybe as Arthur said, his quotes are being um, taken up the wrong way, but I don't think they are. To be honest, like he's talking about taking soccer into the twenty first century, like American football already is. But I mean, football is already there. We're, we're starting to bring in things like VAR and goal line technology, which which are great. Well, VAR has has its moments, but I mean. To be honest with you, look, Andy Reid is a great coach. He won a Super Bowl, I think, with the Chiefs last year. But he's uh, he's spoken to the wrong Andy Reid, I think. Um, our own Andy Reid is the doing great things with Nottingham Forest under twenty threes. Maybe Julian could have given him a buzz, I think, instead of 
Kansas Andy Reid, uh, and he would have got more insight because uh, what Nagelsmann is saying here is a bit ridiculous, to be fair. Yeah, it, it, it you know, it, it, when you think about football fans, they're famously fickle as well. When a VAR decision takes more than 30 seconds to be decided, the fans are already on its back. Imagine imagine there being timeouts in football every time the ball goes dead. I mean, it's just, you're, you are changing the game. This is, this is football, and this is what you got into, Julian. So, you know, you're going to have to put up with it at some stage. And it, it does speak to, I mean, obviously, look, football has gotten to a level now of coaching and and tactics that is far beyond the comprehension of a Joe, Joe Bloggs like me. But I always remember a quote from a manager, I, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a top-level manager who was quite quiet on the touchline and never really shouted at his players. And it was asked why... And he said, well, if I have to shout at them during the game, then I haven't done my work up until, until the game. I mean, if, if, he, if he needs to change things in the game, and I know you do have to change like formations and substitutions at times if it's not going in your favour, but if you have to make drastic changes that you need an earpiece to do, I mean, have you really done your job that great during the week to prepare your team in the best possible way? Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. And it's, it's very funny because obviously the same thing is sort of happening or you kind of see, like, and it's interesting because obviously there is say, a tendency towards this. So if you take and kind of if you take hurling, right? So recently, obviously you've had particularly with hurling, you see with the introduction of the water break, and particularly with Limerick, that in that water break you still see. So Paul Knurk is out quick as light to make or try to remind or whatever with any tactical talk that he wants to do. And obviously, I imagine Knurk and Nagelsman. I don't you know there's no necessarily parallels, but they're obviously both kind of extremely high up in terms of how they're held their coaching regards. And um, so maybe there's a tendency towards this. But to me, like, again, as you're saying, it just seems like terrible micromanaging. Like, and again, it's kind of, it sort of seems like sort of antithetical to everything we kind of like about football. Like, I, I'm sure, to be honest with you, at the same time, I wonder, it'd be a very interesting thing. Would Guardiola have liked to have Messi mic'd up? <laughs> would he have liked to be able to speak to him? Because he seems like someone who would, like, he's there. Like, I'm sure he'd find it extremely convenient. But, like, yeah. I don't see players reacting well to that. No, no I, I don't think so either. I, and look, I, I know I'm comparing apples and oranges in a way, but <laughs> I remember when I was playing football one year and there was a player straight through on goal. I mean, he was one-on-one with the keeper, nobody around him, no defenders around him. And the manager shouted onto the pitch, shoot. And we just <laughs> turned to him like, well, what do you expect him to do? Like, what, like he can make up his own mind here. I mean, is is Julian Nagelsmann gonna, you know, when Lewandowski gets into the box one on one with the keeper, it's like, ah, oh, just stick it into the bottom corner there, lad. Just <laughs> curl it in. Lewandowski's gonna do that anyway. You know, he's gonna make these decisions. I just think it's um, it's a power it's trip. An, unnecessary it is it is a power trip in, like in they're, they're all even like the way Arthur mentions the the water breaks. I know, in like even like myself playing at a club level in GA. Water breaks aren't really something that the players like because you have to run over, run back. You're nearly more out of breath coming back from the water break than you were beforehand. It's not yeah, a you break. Get back up like, to the pace of the game. Exactly, and and some people, some players in the team, their muscles might seize up a little quicker. Like, does Nagelman want that? It's a power trip. You see, of course, you see Kinnerk and, and the likes making making use of their time in GEH for the water breaks, but like that is something that the players are probably just players are in the middle of the game. They're taking their sip of water. They're only half listening to what the coaches are telling them. Of course, if there's a very direct piece of information, they have to point to some player in terms of marking someone, they'll take it on board. But at that point of the game, the game is in the, in its flow. Like there's only so much a manager can do. It's a power trip. And Nagelsmann, if he wants more of those breaks, I think that's a, 
that's an ego thing as well. He wants he wants more power over his team during the game, which just doesn't really make sense, I think, from a footballing fan's perspective. No, it would inevitably lead down the NFL route. And I, I, apart from red zone, except for the broadcasting element of where the NFL is at, I don't think football needs to borrow much from, from NFL in terms of what's going on on the pitch. But the broadcasting, the, the sooner the Premier League can sort out a, a red zone style thing for Premier League is just, that's that's where the future's at. For, well, you see, for it's, it's, not, it's not Formula One. Like the, the great thing, you mentioned the NFL coverage there. The, the Formula One coverage on Sky is, is excellent. Um, and a lot of that is because so much is going on so fast and you hear the radio conversations. But And look, drivers, they might be dra- traveling insane speeds, but they're still sitting in one place. And to, to get a bit, a bit of advice into their ears and to reply with their own little uh, words of whatever it might be to the, to the engineer back in the, uh, the, pit, the pit lane, that makes sense because they're sitting in one place. They're able to take on board information, overtake here, go to the pits, do this, do that. That's grand. But footballers are running around. They're out of breath. They're moving. Like they're not able to take information, process it, and then act on it, and even and, and reply to it either. Like it just doesn't make sense. As much as I'd love to hear Messi mic'd up, chatting to the manager during the match, as great <laughs> as that would be, it just doesn't make sense in football. Like. No. He's turning that off. He's not having that yeah. on. No. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> they, they, they've got so many issues with brands as well, you know. They, yeah. they, like, imagine the cursing that would go on in the pitch. Brands would not want television uh, companies to have access to that or or, or it, it to be leaked out. And inevitably it would with the way the technology is anyway. But anyway, that is uh, Julian Nagelsmann's comments from the week. We did want to get on to uh, Marcus Alonso's comments or his actions around the taking of the knee, but we actually don't have time. We might come back to that next week. Arthur, Shane, thanks very much for that. Thanks, Millionaire. Good stuff. All right, so that is us done on this week's Team 33. Thanks to you as ever for listening. If you want to listen back to that show or any of the Team 33 podcasts, you can get it in the OTB Sports app. That is available to download now in your App Store or Google Play Store as well. We'll be back again, same time, same place next week. But until then, Ewa, Slango Foil, take away, Johan. (laughs) 